Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining me for this Campus Safety Voices podcast episode about hospital violence. This topic is extremely important since a recent survey found hospital violent crime increased by 47% from 2020 to 2021. One way to combat violence in hospitals is through de-escalation training, which has proven to both protect employees and save hospitals money due to less nurse turnover. The Crisis Prevention Institute is one organization that provides this type of training, so I spoke to its president, Susan Driscoll, about recognizing early signs of anxiety among patients or visitors to try and prevent a situation from turning into a crisis. We also spoke about how the pandemic has affected hospital workplace violence, the impacts of implementing de-escalation training, and the importance of having a unified approach to de-escalation among all employees. We really hope you find valuable information in this interview. Take a listen. Be sure to subscribe to Campus Safety's YouTube channel and like or leave a comment on our videos. Or subscribe to our Campus Safety Voices podcast on Apple and Spotify and leave a review. The topic of helping prevent healthcare workplace violence. We can start off by talking about the Crisis Prevention Institute, what it does, and also how you came to be their president. Sure. Um, so um, I'm Susan Driscoll. I'm the president of Crisis Prevention Institute. Um, the Institute actually was founded in 1980. So we've been around for 42 years and um, we're the leading provider of evidence-based de-escalation training. Um, what we say is we help avoid and manage life's daily crisis moments. So, you know, we're not like active shooter, or, you know, suicide prevention, we are dealing with escalating behaviors and teaching the practical skills for how to de-escalate them. Um, I've been with CPI for just five years. Um, I actually have a background both in higher education training and healthcare training and was asked by uh, the firm who owned CPI to do um, consulting work to determine the opportunity within the healthcare market fell in love with the company and actually moved five years ago from New York to Milwaukee where our headquarters are so that I could actually have a hand in helping to fulfill the mission really of the company. I feel like so there's so many conversations out there about active shooter training and yes, that's important, but they're still extremely rare. And I think a lot of people forget about the importance of other types of training for mental health crisis or like anything, something not as severe as an active shooter, but something that's much more likely to happen than an active shooter. Absolutely. And something that, that as a worker, you can control. So one of our principles is we call it the integrated experience. And it, um, the principle is that you can't control the behavior of the person, but you can control your own behavior. And by um, responding appropriately, understanding the, le the, the level that they're at of escalation and responding appropriately, you can actually control the situation. So it puts much more confidence and control back in the hands of the worker. And I think that's what makes the training so effective. Absolutely. And how, a loaded question, but how have you seen workplace violence evolve since the pandemic? Worse, better? Does it vary between sectors that you work with? Um, I think it's just worse everywhere. I mean, you read it in the media every day, right? Um, people, so um, 
what we teach is that there are four distinct stages of a crisis, um, anxiety, defensive behavior, risk level behavior, um, where somebody's, you know, could cause imminent harm to themselves or other people. And then at the end of a crisis, there's tension reduction. And the reason I mention that is that everybody, um, both the workers and the patients and their family members are at the anxiety stage now anyway, and often beyond it already coming in defensive. Um, so the, the chance of it escalating to risk behavior is just much higher than it ever has been um, just because the pandemic has, you know, it's, it's made everyone more anxious and exhausted. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, um, on campus safety, we cover workplace violence, mostly in regards to healthcare. Uh, and well before the pandemic, like you were saying the state of workplace violence in healthcare specifically was not good. And healthcare in- workers are three times more likely to be a victim of workplace violence than mm-hmm. anyone else. And in 2022, the Joint Commission came out with new hospital accreditation requirements to help minimize the workplace violence incidents. And what does that say about the state of worker safety in healthcare? You know, it's interesting. I, it, it says that it's an acute problem, but I also think it's a positive in that there's an increased awareness of it and uh, recognition that it has to change. You know, I think the American Nurse Association in particular has made this one of its, you know, one of its central missions to, um, for nurse safety to recognize that this is a big problem and also recognize that the nurses are, you know, likely to be the brunt of it because they are the front line with the, with the patients and with the, you know, and with the families. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you think even when, you know, when I had my children, even nurses who are in labor and delivery, it's just like, there, it's just a very highly charged emotional place. And it's anyone who has had kids know that it's the nurses that are really in there for, for those big moments for people. And like you said, they're the ones taking the brunt of it. Absolutely. And, you know, your own experience in labor and delivery, those nurses are incredibly empathetic. And that's, Actually, what we teach is that when somebody is at the anxiety phase, which any mother in labor is, right, or defensive or, you know, um, responding with empathy and compassion is super important to calm that anxiety. So every mother knows, you know, who's, who's dealt with one of those labor and delivery nurses who just makes you feel calm. That's exactly the sort of experience that we train and skill we train. Um, so that's a perfect example. And so I'm sure it all varies depending on where within a hospital, um, you know, healthcare workers or nurses are working, but what types of situations do healthcare workers most commonly encounter and have those situations shifted since the pandemic in any way? You know, it used to be that in behavioral health wards or emergency departments or actually pediatric intensive care is another one, again, where there's emotionally charged situations and people with very little patience. Um, that's where it would happen more frequently, the, the incidence of workplace violence. But now it's happening everywhere. Um, anywhere there is someone who is, has escalated emotions um, combined with workers, as I said, who are overworked and exhausted and not, may not be able to fully regulate their own emotions. That's sort of like a powder keg for, you know, for a crisis moment. Yeah, absolutely. And you were saying how your training is 
evidence-based. And so with the pandemic, how has CPI adjusted how it offers its services to healthcare workers? You know, how might have it adjusted its <clears throat> curriculum to reflect conditions and how healthcare workers have been dealing with them? So we, um, like many companies in our space, pivoted to virtual training um, you know, within a week, we realized, okay, the workers are gonna be dealing with crisis situations. They need our skills and, and we require that our certified instructors um, actually get renewed and that they train their staff regularly. And that's part of the joint commission requirements too, that regular staff training. Because they couldn't train face-to-face, -face, we had to create virtual training options. So we did that. We provide much more one-on-one -on -one coaching. We had a whole resource center of virtual tips for virtual training. Um, and we sort of guided our customers through how to, how to achieve the results, even though they couldn't put hands on one another or meet face-to-face. -face. And now, is it shifting back to more in-person trainings? Now it is shifting more back to in-person training. We learned that, uh, so many of, part of our training is skills um, practice. Um, and part of some of our trainings involves physical interventions. So uh, disengagements or physical holds if somebody needs to you know, be controlled and is getting really violent. Um, you can't train that virtually. So we think it's important to have the face-to-face, -face, the muscle memory that comes from live training. Um, so you know, Omicron put a little wrench in our plans, but um, I think you know, people understand that there is no substitute for face-to-face -face and, you know, we've managed through it. Right. To my, well, what came to my mind was even just uh, before our, I had kids, we did CPR training when I was pregnant with my first and that I couldn't imagine doing that virtual. There's nothing you, that compares to the hands-on. You know, there's interesting now, um, CPR training is done with a mannequin and digitally. They're, the American Heart Association has actually launched a product, um, little plug for them, um, called, I think it's called RQI, and you actually do practice on a mannequin, and it tells you when the compressions are the right approach. So I do think that some things can be done with technology, but not you're reacting to some the movement of somebody else and the tension of somebody else, and that and there's no mannequin that I know of that can, you know, that can actually do that today. Maybe someday, but right. Obviously, this is expounded upon in your trainings, but can you give an example of what kinds of tips that you offer uh, healthcare workers to protect themselves? Absolutely. Um, first of all, there's a, I will say that on our website, um, crisisprevention.com. Um, there's a resource center that has a lot, excuse me, a lot of tips, and you can filter it by healthcare. We also actually have a resource for the listeners of this podcast. Um, if it's CPI, CPI site, S-I-T-E dot com backslash campus safety, one word. And there's actually a handbook for security, uh, hospital security directors that has a lot of tips in, in that guide. So that's a free resource that we're making available. If you can't remember that URL, just crisisprevention.com will give you a lot of tips too. But I would say, if I could give one piece of advice, it's practice on seeing the early signs, practice looking for anxiety and being supportive. If you start to practice that early recognition and understanding the appropriate response, empathy, support, 
calm your voice, get control of your own emotions uh, and practice it when there's not an emergency, then you're gonna be more prepared. That, that skills, practice, development, muscle memory is super important, I think. Yeah, and I think that can be carried over to so many different things. The first thing that came to my mind is what dealing with my own kids. I feel like I can yes. bring it back to my kids, but it's relatable. It's like before something turns into a full-blown tantrum, you try and intervene. And but I, you do find yourself just you get emotional as well, and just need to take a second and just like sit back and take a breath. <laughs> totally, those like mindfulness techniques, those little behavior hacks really help in any situation and, and can, can, can really prevent, you know, most of these crisis situations. And now this training for uh, healthcare, does the training work across all departments? Is it important that they all have the same training and the same approach to de-escalation? You know, that's a great question. So in healthcare in particular, the whole notion of coordinated care and the coordination of transitions um, it's just a, an accepted practice. And the same is true in dealing with, you know, behavior escalations. When everybody has the same vocabulary, they have the same approach to recognizing the stage of a crisis, and they have the same approach for responding, you know, the nurse and the security guard can have an immediate and smooth um, coordinated handoff, and it prevents, um, you know, often the, the disruption that can come when a security person comes in and the nurse wants to you know, spend another 25 minutes trying to calm the person down and the security guard wants to get it under control. I call it this, the Mars and Venus phenomena um, because they just have different approaches. But when you can have that common language and common way of approaching, it makes the whole um, transition more seamless and it leads to better outcomes for the patient or family members, which is really what it's all about. I was saying on campus safety, we cover schools as well. And I've, I've noticed that um, studies are showing that teachers are leaving in like mass exodus. And then yes, there's also yes. no, the incoming classes are a lot smaller as well, people that are interested in it. Do you, do you think those studying, it might, might be similar for nurses, people studying to become nurses and doctors. Do you think people studying nursing and to be doctors are prepared for the verbal and physical abuse that they may encounter when they enter the workforce and are they prepared more than they have been in the past, do you think? I, I can't answer that question because I don't know what's happening in the curriculum. I do think that I, I have seen that many residency programs, nurse residency and um, physician residency programs are addressing these issues and providing training. And I think that's super important. Um, I think that the, the I don't think that anybody is fully prepared and that, you know, nurses turn over 20% in the first year. So, it, and, it, and that's not changing. So I think it's indicative that, you know, they're not prepared. They, they have a mission to help and don't, un, don't realize fully everything that comes with it. I think it's just one of those things that unfortunately the only way to really understand it is to experience it, which. Yeah. And be prepared. I mean, I think that's why yeah. the on-the-job training is so important. Mm -hmm. And uh, I always try and pull something positive from conversations that I have with people who are, you know, dealing with the pandemic and on the front lines and like with you guys with training people. And what is something positive you think um, has come out of the pandemic in regard to hospital workplace violence? I think it's just awareness of the problem and a commitment to 
solving it. So I think this was underway. The Joint Commission has been preparing their new guidance and their new standards for several years. But I think the pandemic really shined a spot, shown a spotlight on the problem and a recognition that in order to keep staff from turning over, you know, this, this sort of skills development and professional development is essential. Do you have any uh, predictions for what type of long-term effects the pandemic will have on how healthcare workplace violence is handled, whether it's good or bad? It's so interesting. I ask a lot of people that and everyone answers, well, if I had a crystal ball, you know, and no, there, I, I, I don't know. I hope that it's a transition, but I think this may be the new normal. Um, again, I think regular training, skills development, and making it a part of the job, you know, this, this sort of awareness and development of skills to deal with it um, is was already happening, but probably is just like, now's the moment when people are recognizing, oh, we have to make this priority. Absolutely. And now kind of switching over to some more generic questions about training. Uh, how important is data collection and reporting workplace violence incidents? Super important. In fact, the American Nurse Association, that's really one of, one of the things it highlights because nurses tend to think that violence against them is just part of the job. So if, if somebody has a behavioral health episode and strikes out at the nurse, the nurse thinks, well, they're not really, they don't mean to do that. So the, the incidents of workplace violence are dramatically underreported, especially by nurses. So making sure that people have an easy way to report. Um, the other thing I know from just talking to many, many nurses over the years is it's a lot of work to actually report it and they'd just rather not have to bother with it. So I, you know, it's important to make it simple um, to report it and, um, you know, and then to make it a priority for people to be aware that they, they're not helping anybody by not reporting it. Yeah, and you were emphasizing the importance of like regular training. And I think it's especially important when, um, you know, there are several generations of nurses. And so a nurse who's, you know, in her 60s might interpret nursing in a different way because when she entered nursing or he entered nursing, uh, it was just approached very differently. And newer nurses coming in are, I think, which is good. They're basically putting up with less, you know what. And Yes, it, absolutely. So regular also, training. you know, nurses who've been in the business or, you know, on the job for many years often are very exhausted too. And then, so they're more prone to escalating behaviors themselves or power struggles. So our training sort of teaches, again, to keep, you know, your own behavior in check and in control and the value that it has for other people. And so what is a triple, uh, excuse me, typical training class like? Yeah. So we have a train the trainer model. We actually, an organization, a hospital will have to sponsor someone to go to our training to become a certified instructor. Um, they go to our program. It's an online course and then three days of in-person training for if you're going to learn our nonviolent crisis intervention program is our most popular and involves the physical interventions. So that program is three in-person days. Um, we give people a lot of practice in doing the training themselves, we model the training, and then we certify them to train back at their organization. Um, we think it's really important that the organization sponsor the person and that there's an embedded coach 
because as I said, it's not just a one and done training that you do once a year. You have to see, you know, ob observe situations happening, debrief situations, and then, you know, give tips and remind people of the techniques. So um, the certified instructor will train other staff members at their organization using all the materials we provide. Um, and then we have a huge amount of support for those certified instructors as well. And with you guys being in business for over 40 years now, I'm sure you have plenty of these, but what are some uh, of the direct results you've seen following your trainings? You know, the, the most immediate is staff has more confidence and feels more in control of situations. So that has a direct impact on worker turnover. You know, if, if they're competent and confident, um, they're feeling more positive about their job. So, um, and in fact, there's been a study that shows that workplace violence is directly correlated to higher nurse turnover. Um, so knowing that they're confident, I, I think that uh, the stats is 95% of people who go through our training say they feel more confident and competent to control these situations. Um, there's um, overall an 82% decline in workplace comp claims for people who fully embed our training. So there's a real savings. There's really real money to be saved both in um, workers' comp claims, but also if you can prevent a nurse from leaving, then you don't have to replace that nurse. And you know, it's it costs about eighty-two thousand dollars to replace a nurse. Um, and when the when you're short-staffed, you're more likely to have never events or you know serious issues. So there's a cost to that too. So there's a real cost savings. And I think that many administrators don't fully understand the direct correlation between this sort of training and profitability for the hospital, honestly. Right. Yeah. I think, I feel like a lot of times you hear people, every sector, I guess, but complaining about higher ups only caring about the money part of it. And so when you can come with statistics from a safety perspective and then statistics from a monetary perspective, it's just, there's kind of no reason not to, you know, you, right. you, hit, you hit both marks and it protects everyone. Right. I, you know, I, it is true that hospital administrators have so many competing priorities um, that this may not, you know, be top of mind. But I, again, I think that's one of the positive aspects of the pandemic is it's made this workplace violence issue top of mind for the C-suite and combined and knowing that there is a real benefit, cost benefit to providing the training makes it worthwhile. For sure. Now we touched on this when we were, you were saying how trying to handle a situation at the anxiety level before it gets worse, but what is the very, if for anyone listening to this, whether healthcare or any other sector, what is the very first thing they should do to prevent a crisis moment? Again, practice in advance those skills that early stage and make sure that you're, you're in control and you know that you're calm and consistent in your approach. If you're not, ask for help immediately. Um, you know, we really encourage the team approach, um, both because if you're not feeling completely in control of yourself, you're not going to be able to manage the behavior of somebody else. So ask for help there. Take a few moments to, you know, do some deep breathing to try to get in control. Um, and also be aware that um, 
we call it rational detachment, but the escalating, you may be the cause of the escalation through no fault of your own because many, many people who re reach risk behavior have trauma in their backgrounds and you, are a, trigger. you yeah. are a trigger and you don't even know it. And yeah. for no, no, no other than the way you look or, you know, the, what, you know, what you remind that person of. So when it, when you're, when it seems like you're doing the right thing and you can't control it, get somebody else in there because, and assume that you're a trigger for a traumatic, traumatic experience. Yeah. And I think it's important to, as an individual, recognize your strengths and weaknesses and not be af afraid to ask someone for help. And, yes. and nurses are got into the profession because they're there to help each other or help other people. And you, they'll be there to help you as well. You just need to ask whenever you need And, uh, you know, conversely, nurses may have, there may have been, you may have had a violent episode and that person is a trigger for you. So recognize that as well. It's all about, can you maintain a calm, consistent approach? Um, and the training that we teach really emphasizes keeping your rational brain in control. You know, by recognizing, thinking about what stage are they in, you're actually keeping your emotional brain from hijacking your rational brain. And so there's a lot of actually brain science behind this as well.